Football is back, and Domino's Hawaii couldn't be more excited. Our community has been through a lot this year, and so to show our appreciation for all your efforts and sacrifice, we'd like to do our part in helping you enjoy the games by offering large specialty pizzas for $15.99 and our new buffalo wings for $5.99. Just log on to the Domino's Hawaii website or app, and remember, while you watch your favorite team, you can be assured that our team continues to make your health and safety a top priority. How's it going, everybody? We welcome you to another edition of the Let's Talk Sports podcast with Kanoa Lehi and Jordan Hilly. Kanoa out again this week, but fear not. We've got Billy Hall sitting in today, one of our favorites from the old radio show, Honolulu Star Advertiser, writer, covering a whole bunch of other things, combat sports, prep sports. He's the mastermind behind the Hawaii Prep World website. Check that out when you get a chance. Uh, hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving weekend. We record this on a Wednesday in the morning, there's an NFL game that's just kicked off. The Maui Invitational is getting concluded in Asheville, North Carolina. It is craziness all over the place. Uh, but I like to reflect back on our warm-up here as we revisit Thanksgiving, if you will. Billy, what's the best thing you ate over the Thanksgiving weekend? Honestly, I ate some turkey, and that's really about it. It's the first year I only had one plate. We had no family. Very, very sad Thanksgiving in the whole household. Did, did you do the Zoom thing? Did you Zoom anybody into the, the, the Thanksgiving dinner? You know, I zoom, well, I zoom my parents. They live in Seattle, so I talk to them separately. But really, it, it's such a weird year. This is actually a true story. The only Thanksgiving I did is we had a turkey, and I ate it as a sandwich. I literally had turkey sandwiches on a Thanksgiving. That that's, that's pretty much sums up 2020 right there. Oh, boy. Well, this podcast is off to a roaring note after that bleak story <laughs> yeah. from Billy Hall. Yeah, no uh, stuffing, no ham, nothing. <laughs> Best thing I ate, uh, pumpkin crunch little pumpkin dessert, not pumpkin pie, uh, but instead of nuts on the bottom, it was made with pretzels for those with a nut-averse allergy. Uh, it was pretty good, I'm not going to lie. not going to lie. My mom made it for my niece, who's allergic to nuts, so we went with the, the pretzels. I got to say, I think she's on to something. Forget the nuts on the bottom of your pumpkin crunch. Pretzels. Oh, interesting. Well, when this whole thing's over, I'm going to have to fly over there. You're going to have to uh, have mom make that, make one of those for me. There you go. Looking forward to it. I haven't left this island in like nine months. So uh, any visitors or any traveling I can do coming up will be nice. All right. Now that we've got it warmed up, we do want to welcome to the show again, Billy Hall of the Honolulu Star Advertiser sitting in for Kanoa. Kanoa will be back soon. Fear not. We also have coming up a little bit later an interview with Head basketball coach at Chaminade, Eric Bovaire, the Division II school in Honolulu, looking to patch together some sort of season. We will talk to him about that. And, of course, the My Invitational host school, watching from thousands of miles away, as we mentioned, that tournament is concluding later today, Texas and North Carolina playing in Asheville, North Carolina, for that one. All right, Billy, now that we've got it warmed up, it's time for game time. First up, the Bows bounce back. That's right, the Rainbow Warriors had Nevada, previously 5-0 Nevada, its first loss of the season with a 24-21 victory this past Saturday at Aloha Stadium. The Hawaii defense put forth another solid performance. A bit of bend but don't break from the War Dog defense. Darius Moussao with 14 total tackles, nine of them solo for the Mililani product, allowed the Bows to overcome what was another slow start by the offense. Uh, Hawaii put together a pretty impressive drive right at the end of the first half to take a 10-7 lead into that break. And from that point on, I, I thought Hawaii's offense looked about as consistent 
as we've seen all season, Chevin Cordero goes 30, uh, 26 of 32, I should say, through the air, 246 yards passing, one touchdown, added 62 yards rushing on the ground, and another score. Calvin Turner, 10 catches, 77 yards, another touchdown. He also had two rushes for 28 yards. Melquise Stovall, five catches, 44 yards, also ran it once. Uh, really pleased to see Hawaii make it a point to get what I would consider their two most dynamic playmakers, get the ball into their hands as much as possible. But, uh, Billy, what was your takeaway from Hawaii's win, which evens their record at 3-3? Three and three? Yeah, I mean, I, clearly it was a really good win. I just really like, you know, first-year coach Todd Graham. You know, we've been used to the run and shoot these last few years. And it's really been kind of fun watching just kind of the differences in what we're going to see from a Todd Graham coach team. And I thought – you know, one of the things coming in is I think we've talked about how, you know, Chevin Cordero hasn't necessarily been throwing for, you know, 400 yards and putting up the big numbers. He had the one big game against New Mexico. But I thought in this game he really ran, I think, the offense, the way they're trying to do it. You mentioned the numbers. He was incredibly efficient. You know, you look at the end of the day, I think it was only 200-something yards he threw for, but he was moving the chains, really efficient, mixing up pass and run. Probably has to have been kind of a tough year for him, right? I mean, he's so used to running the same offense. You know, he got to run. It was such a, a beautiful fit for him. He got to run his, the same offense he ran in high school and college with Rolo. And now he's kind of clearly had to learn an entire new offense. And I just thought six game into the season, beating a team as good in Nevada and the way he played it, it really kind of seemed like he's kind of starting to kind of really figure this out. And he looked really good. Yeah, I, I mean, in last week's podcast, I was pretty critical of this offense, uh, but I, I thought we really saw some signs of improvement. And I think it's a really good point by you, because not only is it a new coaching staff coming in and trying to make it work, but also the players adapting to this new scheme and, and for Chevin Cordero learning an entirely new offense. And, and you would anticipate there would be some growing pains. And we, we saw that through the first five games in particular. Uh, but the efficiency we saw from this offense, uh, I think one thing that it's sort of been a crutch in the first five games was an over-reliance on big plays, on those big chunk plays uh, without being able to sustain drives. And, and what do we see against Nevada? Some long sustained drives late in the half in some critical situations, including that last drive where they converted on fourth and six to basically ice the game and not allow Nevada to get the ball back. And, and so seeing that consistency from the offense, some of the quick short throws, I think were a big big improvement uh, for this group. And, and you get the ball in the hands of guys like Stovall and Calvin Turner, uh, and they can make it really make some things happen for your group. And, and I thought that was um, something that they can parlay forward. Uh, but defensively, Billy, as well, this is a group that, you know, hey, Coach Todd Grant came in, right? They're going to play fast. They're going to play aggressive. It's been repeated by Coach Defensive Coordinator Victor Santa Cruz. Uh, we're seeing a little bit of that. They're a little undersized up front, but they're a group that has really done well to keep their offense in games here over the last few weeks. Yeah, kind of that Ben Dobrik approach you talked about. But I thought the Nevada game especially, they, you know, we keep talking about what a crazy year it's been and not having the practice time. And, you know, the sixth game into the season, I feel like this Nevada game is really where we kind of saw everything come together on both sides of the ball. And defensively, look, the guy that I've just been enamored with, and, you know, as a, as a guy who, you know, covered high school sports for a long time, covered a lot of high school football, Darius Moussaou. I mean, he was a decent player. You know, he played two ways in high school. He was a running back a little bit. They, you know, they used him in crunch time on the offensive side of the ball. But the way he has just come on for this team, and, and, and you know, he, he's been amazing. He's everywhere. He's a ball hawk. And he's just the perfect example of, of we see it every year. There's always, I think, I would say four to five guys that are a little under the radar in high school football that don't have, you know, 
maybe the measurables. They're not the highly recruited kids, but they're football players. And they're always the guys who say if they can just get to the University of Hawaii, they're going to have a big time impact. And, and Darius Musa is one of those guys and you're seeing it. I mean, he's now one of the elite playmakers on that defense and he's, he's a big part of their success. Yeah, without a doubt. And as we record this about 11 a.m. on Wednesday, late yesterday it was announced that the game at San Jose State for the University of Hawaii that's 4-0 San Jose State and battling for a spot maybe in the conference championship game. Brett Brennan has done a terrific job there for the Spartans. We knew that it was going to have to be relocated if they were going to play it because of restrictions there in Santa Clara County. It's forced the, the 49ers to move a couple of their home games to the Arizona Cardinals Stadium in Glendale. Stanford's looking for a temporary home as well. San Jose State in that mix. And there had been you know, reports that, that maybe they were looking at taking it up the coast to Humboldt, uh, where they held fall camp this year. But it was reported yesterday and, and confirmed by the parties that be that that game will actually take place at Aloha Stadium. So another home game for the University of Hawaii that will give them five home games if they do and didn't complete their season next weekend against UNLV as well. They will get an additional home game. San Jose State will travel sort of what happened to San Jose State when they were supposed to go to New Mexico earlier this season. Uh, restrictions in Albuquerque forced that game to be relocated to the South Bay. And so they will they will convene at Aloha Stadium for the second year in a row. It always seems to be an exciting ball game when those two teams get together over the years. Uh, I would anticipate maybe another similar showing here, but another opportunity for the Bulls to knock off a would-be unbeaten run. You know, pretty exciting game in the Mountain West, right? You've got this Hawaii team who – coming off their best performance of the season against Nevada. San Jose State's undefeated. Um, and look, this team, this Hawaii team has been a little different road in a way, right? I mean, they've struggled on the road a little bit, you know, a couple of their, their toughest performances, what I believe at San Diego State, at Wyoming. Um, so to have this game at home, I think is big for them. They don't have to fly anywhere. Coming off the performance they had, you know, a little bit of a break for the, for the Bows and, and we'll see if they can take advantage of it. All right, switching gears here, we move over to the cage, if you will. Hawaii MMA has been growing for years. Billy Hall has been a guy who has been a lead reporter on combat sports for the Honolulu Star Advertiser. So perfect guy to have on as a guest host for this episode of the LTS pod. Three Hawaii fighters were on last weekend's card, a UFC fight night card in Las Vegas. All three of them unfortunately lost. Kai Kamaka, maybe the most high profile of the three on the main card, lost by a TKO punches to Jonathan Pierce kind of got caught in a, in a vulnerable position in a fight that, that, that seemed pretty up and up until the middle of that second round. On the preliminary card, Martin Day uh, submitted via guillotine choke against Anderson Dos Santos and Rachel Ostevis back in the UFC octagon for the first time in a while. She goes down by TKO via kicks in the third round. Uh, coming up as well, we've got the Ili Malay McFarlane title defense in Bellator, which we can get to in a bit. Max Holloway is scheduled to fight next month as he returns to the UFC cage as well. Uh, but let's start last Saturday in Vegas, Billy. It was uh, a trio of Hawaii fighters that I, I think a lot of people were looking forward to on that ESPN Plus UFC fight night card. Unfortunately, it didn't quite go the way for the fighters from the 808. Yeah, tough, 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 uh, tough card for them. Uh, you know, the guy I kind of want to focus on, though, is Kai Kamaka because he's a really cool story. He's a guy that's kind of just been biding his time, trying to get an opportunity. Um, he's moved up to the mainland now because he just kind of wants to be around to be ready to be able to take a fight if it comes. And, you know, I think a guy, he came off, you know, he won fight of the night in his first fight in the opening fight of a pay-per-view. And he kind of mentioned it a little bit on social media. I haven't had a chance to talk to him in a while, but he mentioned on social media that I think, you know, he kind of got aggressive and I think he kind of, maybe learned a little bit of a lesson. You know, I know you want to go out there and then try to put on a show and try to get that bonus and kind of be the, 
the, the highlight of the night. But, you know, he, he mentioned that he kind of got a little bit too aggressive. And you saw that in the fight. I mean, he was taking a lot of chances against a guy that I thought he could have been patient with. I thought, I thought he could have kind of stepped back and kind of just taking his time and picked him apart a little bit. But he was clearly going for the knockout and got caught. So, you know, a young kid, I'm really excited for his future. I think Kai Kamaka has a chance to be a big name in the UFC. And, you know, you, you kind of look back. We can always look back at the way Max Holloway started, right? He took a couple of losses to start his career before he went on that amazing run. Tough loss for Kai Kamaka, but I'm sure it was a big learning moment for him. And I'm excited to see him get back in the cage because I think he's a guy that's clearly got a future in the UFC. Yeah, Kai Kamaka, a really easy guy to root for because he's got that family lineage uh, of all the fighting Kamakas. And uh, shameless plug, if you haven't already caught the episode, we did have Kai on a previous episode of our podcast just shortly after he had picked up that first win in the UFC cage. Also stepping back into the cage in just about a week's time, Ilima Malay McFarlane of Oahu to defend her Bellator flyweight title versus Juliana Velasquez of Brazil. That place, that fight will take place in Connecticut next Thursday, December 10th. Uh, it'll be live on CBS Sports Network, so not a pay-per-view card, not behind the zone paywall, uh, as have been some of her fights on Bellator. The, mer- the main card of that event will begin about 5 p.m. Hawaii time, uh, again, on Thursday, December 2nd. Ilima's 11-0, Velasquez 10-0. Uh, Billy, what do you make of this event? The December Bellator card has usually been at the Blaisdell the last couple of years. It has become a huge draw, a huge event, arguably the biggest event on the Bellator calendar the last couple of years when they have come down for those Bellator Hawaii events. We know all that's gone on in 2020, all that's going to prohibit that from taking place. So they're going to do it where all the Bellator events basically have been staged there in Uncasville, Connecticut. Uh, the Elimalay, this pretty stiff competition for her. Yeah, undefeated fighter. Um, a fighter who's got some good wins. You know, I know she fought Alejandra uh, Lara. Really good fighter. I think it was a close fight, split decision. But yeah, I mean, a chance for Alima McFarland to really kind of end the year with a big kind of win. Obviously, you know, things are, she hasn't fought in a while. And I think, you know, probably, you know, she got so excited to be able to come to Hawaii and fight in front of her fans. It was, you know, we talked about how it was almost like bringing back the glory days of MMA at Blaisdell Arena. I mean, when she came here two years ago and won that fight, it was there was a roar in that arena that I hadn't heard covering MMA, you know, since the uh, Icon Sports Super Bowl days, you know. So I'm sure it's a little bit disappointing that, that she doesn't have the chance to be able to come back here and do it in front of a sold-out crowd. But the reality is, you know, everyone's dealing with what's going on, and she's just got a chance to probably get back in the cage. I mean, I'm sure for her, I bet she's just excited to get back in there. It's uh, It's been a while. This is a really good opponent, a tough opponent. Like you said, a chance to find on CBS Sports Network. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think she's probably just looking forward to, to seeing a really good women's fight in Bellator. Yeah, again, that's 5 p.m. Hawaii time, the main card starting on CBS Sportsnet next week, Thursday the 10th. Uh, one other big name, obviously, arguably the biggest name in Hawaii MMA going, uh, Max Holloway to return January 16th, about a month and a half from now in a UFC fight night event against Calvin Cater. First non-title fight for Max in five years. It's been five years since he stepped into the cage without a belt on the line in the UFC. Cater unanimous decision recently against Dan Ige. Back in July, Danny Gay, of course, of Oahu as well. Uh, what do you make of Max getting back in there, Billy, and the fact that now he's got to kind of climb his way back up the ladder like we saw when he was that young, scrappy guy? Right. I, I mean, this is really kind of the ultimate test fight to see where we go from here with Max Holloway. And the reality is, is when, you know, when he was coming off his second loss to Alexander Volkanovsky, and we was trying to figure out, all right, what do you do if you're Max? Do you try to go up and wait? Do you try to enter this... Um, McGregor, Poirier, Tony Ferguson, kind of 
group of, of, of fighters and the, and the big names and go after the big fights or do you stay where you've been at 145 pounds? And, and the reality of this is I, I kind of looked at it and the way the it was kind of shaping up, I thought if he stayed in the division that Cater was going to be the guy that kind of made sense for him to fight, especially after the way Cater beat Dan Ige and other Hawaii guys. So you've got that storyline tied in. And I'm going to tell you, this is a tough fight. This Cater guy is really, really good. I, I when, when I watched him fight Danny, I said, man, this guy's got the potential to be a champion in this division. So even though he's not really a big-time big name yet, I think he's ranked sixth or seventh in the division right now. This is a really tough fight. This kid is really, really good. So I think this is kind of going to be the ultimate test for Max here because he's coming off back-to-back losses. He's lost three of his last four. He'd been on top for so long, like you mentioned, five years of, of title fights. Where's he kind of at? You know, where's he at at this stage? You know, it's we, we've seen it, you know. BJ Penn was a champ for a long time, and he suffered those back-to-back losses to Frankie Edgar and was never really the same. You know, you see guys that are at the peak, and then they kind of lose that belt, and, and, and it's a struggle to kind of ever get back there. A lot of guys don't ever do it. So for Max, the combination of, you know, figuring out where he's at and then fighting a guy as good as he's fighting, this, um, I think this is really going to be the tall tale sign to see where Max Holloway's career goes from here. This is kind of a – a make-or-break fight, I think, for Max Holloway. When you look at it, right, Max Holloway, Elimale McFarlane, arguably the sort of the two biggest names, brightest stars, whatever whatever you want to classify it as. But uh, it, with Max sort of struggling through these fights, and again, they're all title fights, they're all incredibly difficult opponents, but with Elima now sort of reigning supreme in that flyweight division in Bellator and arguably their biggest star, uh, and putting on the biggest shows we've seen here when they do come to Hawaii. Is she sort of at the, the apex? Is she the biggest, brightest MMA combatant that, that we have in Hawaii right now or, or from Hawaii? Ooh, great question. I mean, you've also got Angela Lee in one mm-hmm. championship, you know, who's doing her thing. Um, you know, she hasn't fought in a while. Um, tough call. You know, I mean, look, I don't want to disrespect Liam in any way, shape, or form. I mean, kick my ass. But uh <laughs> no, I, you know, I still think you got to go with Max. I mean, it's the UFC. The UFC is the big, big, bad organization. And Max Holloway has been doing it for a long time, and he's been on top for a long time. And anytime Max Holloway fights, I think, even though he's coming off a couple of losses, he still, I think, is the guy. Um, he's had a heck of a career. He's still not that old, man. He's, I mean, we've talked about him like he's been around forever, but he's still young. So, no, I, I wouldn't – I you know, I think Max Holloway is still kind of the flag bearer for fighters in Hawaii, but – a lot of people coming up, you know, I, I know Kai Kamaka lost. We talked about him earlier in the podcast, but Kai Kamaka is a guy that, you know, has a chance to be on the come up and be really good. So, but yeah, no, I think Max Holloway is still the guy, but we'll see, you know, I mean, you know, you, you lose another fight here, you lose your third fight in a row. Um, maybe Lima gets a win and she takes that spot, but I still think Max Holloway, Max Holloway is still kind of the guy right now in MMA in Hawaii. Did want to get your take on a different sort of combat sport event that took place this past weekend. Yes. The Mike yes. Tyson, Roy Jones Jr., exhibition, whatever you want to call it, uh, pay-per-view that got over a hundred or, or excuse me, over a million buys. Uh, we are getting reports now early this week. Uh, full disclosure, I did not watch it. I did not order it. Billy watched it. It ended in a draw, <laughs> right? There, there were some stipulations and things that went into it, but uh, give, it, give, us, give us your take. Give us your experience here. I'm just going to say, and I, you know, you want to get a little sports hot take. I'm going to say that the most enjoyable sporting event I've watched in 2020 was Mike Tyson fighting Roy Jones. I loved it. I, I didn't know what I was getting into. You know, I, I tuned in and I watched Jake Paul knock out Nate Robinson, a UW guy, which was incredibly sad. And I just kind of thought, oh my goodness, this whole thing is going to be a train wreck. I just spent this money to watch a train wreck. So maybe it was the expectations. We had Snoop Dogg doing the announcing. I mean, it was just wild. I think there was a whole Snoop Dogg concert that happened before the fight and, 
I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm totally wasting my Saturday night. And then Mike Tyson and Roy Jones went out there and it was delightful. I mean, I, first of all, props to Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson's kind of been, in, you know, he kind of had a tough go of it a few years ago. He was in phenomenal shape. He won the fight. He won every round. There was some, you know, they couldn't really judge the fight. There was all these different rules about needing to be an exhibition because they were going to sanction two old guys getting in there to fight. I think everyone was worried about Roy Jones. For some reason, everyone was worried about Roy Jones being the one getting hurt. But Mike Tyson looked phenomenal. And I'm telling you, Jordan, if he fights again and you're a boxing fan, you've got to watch it because he was in shape. He was able to go eight, eight, eight full rounds. Well, eight, I guess, two-minute rounds. No knockouts that maybe people were looking for. But it was fun. And these guys were just, they were going at it. They were throwing. They were looking good. I, I was just, it was, it was so entertaining. I loved it. If Mike Tyson does it again, I'll be first in line to order the pay-per-view. So this, of course, begs the question, right? Because that's, that's sort of what I had read. He looked incredible, uh, would have won the fight if they had, you know, actually gone after it a bit. Does this lead you to believe that he is capable of stepping in a ring in an actual fight against somebody much younger, perhaps, and get after it for 12 rounds? Uh, look, I didn't drink the Kool-Aid quite that much. I don't want to see him in there against uh, Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury. That could be very terrible. But, man, if there's some kind of um, – no, I'm not talking to Evander Holyfield, but I, there's got to be a couple of guys out there that can make some good fights. You know, I'd, I'd have to think it off the top of my head. But one of the interesting things about it, too, is I'll, I'll take it in this direction, is it made me think about MMA. is like the Shogun Huas, the Vitor Belforts, the um, guys like that who, you know, look, they're clearly not going to go in there and, and challenge for a world title at this stage of their career. But is there an appetite for this kind of legends division or this legends combat sports thing that we could see? If it goes off as good as what Mike Tyson and Roy Jones did, I think there's an opportunity there for maybe someone to kind of figure out some some matchups, and you'd have to match it up in the right way. We'd have to match up the right guy and the right guy. But it, just a chance to see some of these guys. Like, I, I think I tweeted, I couldn't believe in 2020 I was watching the Mike Tyson ring walk for a fight. It was so cool, and I just – I think there's an opportunity here for maybe have some of these guys that kind of relive the old days, and, and I'm all for it because it was it was highly entertaining. Yeah, you know, I, this is something we also used to joke about on the old radio show, Kanoa and I, because, you know, there was a time, like, BJ Penn was still stepping in there. He was taking on, like, Clay Guida. What was that, last year? <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and um, you know, we kind of joked about that, the, you know, maybe there's something there where there's, uh, you know, the the golden era division or, like, the, the geriatric division uh, of something, right? Like, these guys are still wanting to get out there because there's some dudes still doing it, right, as you mentioned, with Hua and – like Alistair Overeem's, I think, over 40 at this point. He's still out there doing it. Like, there, there are guys um, who are willing to to step in a cage, and, and maybe if you do it the the Tyson Jones way, where it's, uh, you know, a little more controlled, a little more, yeah. a little more set up, that, uh, you know, you can entertain a lot of people, make a lot of money, while also, you know, hopefully saving some brain cells. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, Anderson Silva's a perfect guy, right? Anderson Silva still wants to fight, but yeah. I think the UFC doesn't want him to fight. You know, what if Anderson Silva fought Shogun Hua in like a year and they did it, you know, just two rounds. Maybe they did two, three, three-minute rounds instead of five-minute rounds or something like that. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of ways to do it, but just the nostalgia. I mean, I don't know if just those low expectations, but I could, I mean, I, once that thing started, I was hooked and it was, it, was, it was awesome to see. It was awesome to see Mike Tyson out there looking quick, looking fresh. I was... It was just very – I enjoyed the heck out of it. So, of course, that lets us sort of segue into some topics here that, that can kind of center on Billy's favorite teams. He's already talked about UW. Uh, 3-0 and University of Washington atop the Pac-12 North as we currently record this thing. 
they're in their first year under the new coaching regime. Uh, but I, I wanted to bring up UW, Billy, obviously, because your, your squad's doing well here. But a large reason because of that is Pearl City grad, Zion Tupuola-Fetue, is just wreaking havoc rushing the passer. I hope I get to do a story on this kid soon because his story is amazing. I mean, he was he was an athlete at Pearl City. You know, Pearl City, a Division Division Two in Hawaii football team. Um, played a little volleyball, and I think was, if I remember correctly, got his first offer from the University of Washington. Which I don't know if he was really expecting it. And so he ends up at UW, and he played a little last year. Uh, last year, and didn't really know. I mean, he kind of looked a little under, I mean, he just kind of didn't really seem like there was much there. I, I got to be honest. I, I didn't really kind of see a whole lot. And I don't know what's happened, but he is all of a sudden, I mean, this guy's a legit pro prospect. I mean, he's 6'3", he's listed at 6'3", 270 pounds. And he is just unstoppable off the edge. Seven sacks in the first three games. I think he has three forced fumbles. He's got a fumble recovery. Um, he's been the Pac-12 defensive lineman of the week all three weeks that UW has played. And you see a guy 6'3", 270, moving the way he is. I mean, he has all of a sudden gone from, you know, kind of a not well-known recruit to one of the best defensive players in the Pac-12. And a guy that, if you're looking at how you project to the next level, a guy 6'3", 270, that can run and is is, as strong as he is coming off the edge. I mean, he's got a legitimate NFL future ahead of him if he keeps us up. And it's, it's it's a crazy story. And it just shows, man, you can find talent. Anywhere, anywhere in Hawaii, you can find talent. You can find guys that can end up playing in the draft one day. It, it's really cool to see. Yeah, he, he was incredible at Pearl City. I mean, he played on both sides of the ball. He was great on their volleyball team. Uh, the other thing that, that makes him a really intriguing prospect, and you see it when he plays out there, I mean, he's got these really long arms that allows him to get off of blocks uh, oh, and, and get after the ball when he's rushing the quarterback as well, which can force those fumbles. He is special, and I'm with you. I don't think it's too hyperbolic to say that that he's got the physical makeup and, and some of the early signs of a dude who can who can really have success not only in his UW career but but potentially at the next level. Yeah, no, it's amazing, and you know I, I know I'm a little biased, but I, I put it out there a couple of times on Twitter that hey, look, if you're if you're recruited and you get an offer from the University of Washington, I really don't know how you don't go there because if you look at what they've done in the last six seven years. First of all, they're basically DBU. If you're a defensive back, you want to go play for Jimmy Lake because you're going to end up in the NFL. It seems like all those defensive backs are end up in the NFL. And not just ending up in the NFL, they're very good. I mean, they've got five or six guys. I mean, Buda Baker, you, you know, we saw him on Sunday Night Football uh, a few weeks ago against the Seahawks do his thing, even though that DK Metcalf play may be the craziest play of 2020. But um, they take all these guys. I mean, Greg Gaines is a guy that's playing for the Rams now. I just saw him play last week. He was a two-star recruit. What they do at the University of Washington, the way they – build these guys up and the way these guys improve so much at that school, they get the four-star guys that go to the pros, but they get a lot of guys under the radar that end up being NFL players. And I don't know if it's, I mean, it's obviously the strength and conditioning coach they do. It's the way they're coached up. It's the way they're taught to play football. I mean, you, you, if you go to the university of Washington, you've got a chance, no matter what kind of recruit you are to end up in the NFL, because these guys progress so much over their time there that, you know, if you have a chance to go there and you're trying to play in the pros one day, I, I just, I mean, find me a better school, especially on the West Coast, that builds these guys up the way the University of Washington does. The other thing that the University of Washington has done incredibly well is recruit Polynesian players. Guys like Zion Tupuolofetui, guys like Sama Pa'ama, who we mentioned, you know, no longer playing football, but guys like Puka Nakua as well, that incredible receiver who's making a name for himself. Uh, They they have done well uncovering gems and also tapping into that Polynesian pipeline. 
Now time for the Domino's Hawaii main topping. Coach Eric Bolverd is our guest here today, the head basketball coach at Shamanad over in Honolulu, longtime host school of the Maui Gym, Maui Invitational. We look forward to their return as well as the tournament's return to Maui next November there on the west side at the Lahaina Civic Center. Coach Bolverd already entering his 10th year in charge of that program. Three trips to the NCAA tournament in his first nine years. A couple of upsets in the Maui Gym, Maui Invitational as well. We will get into all of that with him coming up. Here is Coach Eric Bovert. All right, Coach, uh, thanks again for, for joining us here as we're joined by Coach Eric Bovert of the Chaminade Basketball Program. Uh, Coach, let's kind of just start where things are right now. Uh, what, what, what is the season looking like um, if you can put together something going forward here? Yeah, it's uh, it's been very unique and challenging all at the same time. But, uh, you know, luckily everybody, you know, in our program and, and at Chaminade Athletics has been – has been ha been healthy and you know not haven't had too many cases on campus so you know I think Hawaii and and Chaminade we've done a good really good job with the virus so far um, but the status of basketball is right now I have 12 games on my schedule six of them versus Hawaii Hilo and six of them versus Hawaii Pacific and with the hopes of playing in a conference tournament at the end of the year and the hopes of potentially making the NCA tournament. Um, so that's, that's our goal. Um, you know, that's, that's what we have so far. Um, I know it's, it's not what we all want, but at this point, you know, we haven't had a full team practice yet. We've this entire fall, we have been, you know, practicing in small groups without contact and, you know, the first couple of months we were practicing outside with small groups and no contact. And uh, yeah, my, my, I had to start wearing a bucket hat because my bald head was getting scorched out there. But uh, yeah, that, that's where things are now. You know, hopefully things continue to improve in Hawaii and we're able to, you know, continue to do more and more things. Do you folks have a date set for that first game, whether whether it's against HPU or, or UHE, whoever's first yeah. amongst that round robin? Yeah, it's looking like um, like January twenty second, and it's it's now. There's been about six revisions of the schedule over the past three months, but as of two days ago, that's what we're shooting for. You know, barring that that nothing, you know, that we keep progressing here in Hawaii. Um, with doing good with the virus and so forth. But that's that's our tentative schedule right now. And so with, with that timeline in mind, uh, when can you guys get to sort of contact full team practices uh, if, if you do have a date at this point? Yeah, well, we, you know, Chaminade administration here um, and leadership, they, they, they wanted to, we, we decreased our first semester. So we actually ended um, the first semester right before the Thanksgiving break. Um, and we, everybody wants to just take a pause for a little while, you know, kind of keep, you know, all our students are, are at home. Um, so nobody is on campus and they want to keep it that way until January 4th. So we're planning on resuming, hopefully full practice with contact five on five, getting after it starting January 4th and with the intentions of trying to play, you know, a modified season starting third week of January. So how strange is this for you kind of coming off Thanksgiving? I mean, you're usually kind of kicking things into gear off of my invitation. How strange is this for you to kind of have a, a quiet office, a quiet gym in December? <laughs> it, 
It's, you know, I have to think, I have to tell myself, what month is it again? Wait, wait, I'm, Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm doing what? And then, you know, having all this, I've never had this time off in my past 17, 18 years. Well, basically, <laughs> probably my whole life, to, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, it's really, really strange. Um, you know, typically last, you know, last week, I would be at the Maui Invitational weather you know, we're playing in it mm -hmm. or, or it's our year off, I would still go over and, you know, take in basketball for, for three of the days and be there for five days and, and so forth. And so it was, it, it was definitely really strange. And it was even more strange to watch it on television because I've seen it live for the past nine years. And, you know, so it kind of took me back to kind of a little nostalgic as far as you know, when I was growing up, I would watch the Maui Invitational on TV, usually back at my home in Pennsylvania, and there's a good chance there was snow on the ground. Um, and, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm watching it in Hawaii, and it's being played in North Carolina. So uh, definitely strange. Um, just, you know, the championship game just finished up and was, uh, was definitely a good game. Yeah, an exciting one, uh, Texas in a, in a nail biter, I think by two over North Carolina, just, just before we started recording here. Uh, yeah, it is, it is strange to say the least that the, the tournament, you know, taking place on the mainland and did want to get uh, to that with you here in just a bit. But I was kind of curious with your team this season, and, and I know it's not going to be a, a season or a full season as you had hoped, but uh, what, what were you kind of looking forward to with this, this group of guys in particular uh, getting out on the court? Yeah, well, mainly I've got a, I've got a lot of experienced players coming back, along with you know a, a lot of new players, to be frank. Um, but the experienced players I have, um, they they have been really good role players for us over the years, and uh, kind of waiting to see who out of those group is going to step up and be key contributors for us. We we had a really good recruiting class, um, at least from video that from last year and at least from you know on paper i have not seen them compete against each other yet um but um yeah i'm really excited about this team i think this is a team that we can um play this play really play the style i want um you know pressing and in, in, in a full court up tempo game and uh, score a lot of points but also stop people from scoring and uh, a, a fun style of basketball really looking forward to getting that opportunity to coach them um, and, and progress it. Yeah, I think those familiar with your program have gotten used to that up-tempo, exciting brand uh, that you bring. Oh, oh, with this group, uh, I, I'd imagine that it continues a bit, including some returnees uh, of guys that, you know, are, are come from overseas. There's always been a little bit of an international flavor and makeup to your rosters. Uh, I, I just kind of curious, has it been a, more of a logistical nightmare with everything going on around the globe of, of coordinating and planning and everybody, but getting everybody to campus and, and, and back with you? Yeah, it's been, you know, I didn't even know what Zoom was eight months ago. Never heard <laughs> of it. Um, only been on Skype a few times. And next thing I know, we're having, you know, two times a week team meetings on here trying to just figure out, you know, what's what's going on in Hawaii, what's going on, where they're from and so forth. Half of my team, you know, we didn't start school in person until I think the end of September. So most of my players actually stayed home until that time period. So we started school online 
and, and um, so it, it's it's been a really really strange year. There's no doubt about it. And you know, typically we do have a lot of foreign um, basketball players on our team. Um, this is a year where you know I'm thinking I have one guy in Australia that didn't make it over here for the first semester. Um, we actually, you know, it just didn't work out. It just didn't work out. There wasn't good timing of getting him here. And then, you know, him having to go somewhere for about a month, you know, over this break here. So he's going to join us on Jan in January and, and start, but not as, I don't have as many foreign guys as I typically do. We still have them scattered out, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, and places like that. But, uh, but it should be an exciting group. Yeah, looking forward to them come January. Uh, kind of wanted to get into some of your experiences here. Uh, can you believe that it's this is going to be your 10th year now at Chaminade? I mean, at this point, your second all-time in, in, in wins for the Silver Sarge behind the, the legendary Merv Lopes. But uh, where's the time gone, Coach? <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. It just seems like yesterday I was coming over on a plane with, a, with one child, one-year-old, and then next thing I know, I've got three children and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're 10, nine and, and five. So it's, it's crazy. It's the time has really, has really flown. Uh, I guess, you know, it, time flies when you are having fun. And I, I've had a lot of fun being here in Hawaii and, um, you know, and, and plan to stay for a long time, um, you know, but, but yeah, when I first started, I, I, I honestly thought, two or three years and, and probably something else will come up and we'll move on to something else. And, and I've had opportunities, but I, you know, this is a hard place to, you know, to, to pack up and move away from if you're not moving to something that you feel is better. So there's not too many places better out there. So, you know, so definitely uh, it's been a fun time. We've, we've enjoyed every bit of it. It's really unique to see, you know, our kids grow up in Hawaii when we've grown up in, you know, most of my wife was from a small town in Indiana and grew up on a farm and I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. Um, so my kids are definitely having, you know, incredibly life experiences that, that we never had growing up. Yeah. You, you, uh, Brockway, Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken, right? Your hometown. And then you go to West Liberty or two-time All-American guard at West Liberty division two school there in Wheeling, West Virginia, uh, yes. Kind of nestled between the Ohio and Pennsylvania border. So you go from from Brockway, Pennsylvania to Wheeling, West Virginia. You were an assistant there for seven years. Had a lot of success uh, as part of that coaching staff as well. And then and then you make it all the way to Honolulu. So did you ever dream uh, at some point that that you would be calling uh, Hawaii your home after spending all those years <laughs> no, at, at Pennsylvania, West Virginia it. area? I kind of hoped it whenever <laughs> I used to watch the Maui Invitational uh, come on TV. But I, I kind of think this this journey all began. Um, you know, with, with watching the Maui Invitational on TV. And, and then number two, um, there's, there's a guy by the name of Roger Wileye that's the head football coach at West Liberty um, that grew up on Oahu. And, uh, you know, I was really good friends with him, and, and he would always talk about Hawaii. He'd always bring me over his house for Lao Lao and Poi and, and stuff like that. So, you know, we, we'd have a lot of conversations about Hawaii. And so whenever I got married, he's like, you got to go to Hawaii. So, so we did, we come and stayed at the Royal Hawaiian then went over to Kona for, for several days and, uh, you know, fell in love with it when we, when we did come out here. And then ironically, the job came open. I think it was a year later and, um, 
you know, I looked at my wife and said, Hey, can I apply for this job? And she's like, yeah, go for it. What the heck? <laughs> I knew she thought that there's no chance that I would mm -hmm. get it. And uh, next thing you know, you're in the final five, you're in the final three, two, and you, and you get offered the job. I'm like, whoa, we're, we're leaving West Virginia and we're moving <laughs> to Hawaii. The looks on people's faces were, was amazing. Yeah, I can't, I can count you know, just tons and tons of people. Can I come with you? Can I, can, can I just, do you need an assistant coach? Do you need, do you need a ball boy? I want to come too. So it's, it's been a, it's been a great ride for sure. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that, that transition, and it's worked out terrifically well. You've been to three NCAA tournaments over the course of your first nine years, two wins at the My Invitational, of course, that win over Texas in 2012, and then uh, kind of the route against Cal in 2017, won that one by 26, uh, 26 points or so in that matchup. How do those uh, achievements sort of compare? You know, obviously getting to the NCAA tournament, putting yourself in a position to, to make a run, chase – you know, everybody's ultimate goal of winning a national championship. And, and then also the fact that your season usually begins in large part uh, at the My Invitational, national television, opportunity to play these powerhouse programs. How do those kind of compare as, as you sort of stack up accomplishments here in your tenure? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like two different seasons. It really is. When, when you're preparing for the Maui Invitational and you're preparing to play Kansas or, or North Carolina or, you know, people like that, it's it's a it's a completely different preparation, you know, than than we would normally be preparing for our season. So I kind of look at it as almost two seasons. Now I've learned over the years that if you if you try to play incredibly up tempo versus Kansas and you're pressing them, you're trapping them, they you give up some dunks at the other end, um, you know. So we we kind of change our style a little bit when we play those teams typically. Um, you know, a lot more double teaming in the post and, and, and stuff like that. And then, but the, you know, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely things you really like about both aspects, obviously playing that having the opportunity to play in the Maui Invitational is part of the reason I came here. I never got to, I always wanted to play in it as a kid and then North Carolina and Kansas didn't recruit me. So um, you know, my next best was, well, I can coach in it and having, having that opportunity coming from a small town, you know, and, and not hardly getting out of your area growing up, you know, next thing, you know, I, you know, I know Bill Self, I know Roy Williams, they, you know, it's to, to get to know these guys over the year and most importantly, to see how they, how they conduct themselves and how they conduct them, their programs has been, you know, an experience that I'll never forget, but you know, the, the, the long haul of a season, it's, it's, it's just as gratifying when you make an NCAA tournament or you win a PAC West tournament or, and so forth, probably as a Maui Invitational win. Cause that's, we all know that, you know, anybody can beat anybody on one given day. You, you can be that, but to have a really good season night in or you know, night in and night out through an entire season, you know, that that's definitely probably a little more rewarding to know that you've done it for an extended period of time, rather than just having that magical performance for, for one night. Now, don't get me wrong. Those are, those are very, very exciting times, but um, you know, winning championships and making the NCAA tournaments, it's, it's a lot of fun too. Yeah, I, th I think that makes a lot of sense. So what, uh, what is the value 
of being in that tournament now every other year, uh, even though for, for us here locally, we'd, we'd, we'd love to go back to the, the every year arrangement, but we understand. Um, uh, from a recruiting standpoint, uh, selling your program to, to kids out there around the world, as we talked about with, with a lot of your foreign players, uh, not just out of the high school realms, but, but some of the transfers that you have gotten over your time from other programs. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're like me, <laughs> you know, they didn't get recruited by those high major schools, but everybody wants their shot at them. You know, everybody wants their, their shot to compete against those guys to see where you stand. And, you know, Chaminade is a place where you get that opportunity. You're, you're going to get that chance. Um, even in the, uh, even in the years that we don't play in the Maui Invitational, we, we go play those teams on their home court, you know, so we were scheduled to play at UNLV and at Stanford this year. Those games had to be canceled. But two years ago, we went and played at San Diego State and at Arizona. And, you know, even in those years, it's an incredible experience. I didn't know how how we would like it. You know, obviously, if it was up to me, I would play in it every single year. I don't, I, there's no better tournament in, in the world to, to me. So yeah, of course, I'd rather just play in that every, but, you know, people have decided that that's in the best interest of Chaminade. So I'll definitely support, you know, what our administration and Kemper Lesnick, what the, the plan they come up with. But um yeah, that's it's it's so much fun to play in that tournament, and you know to be able to recruit guys to it's a big sell, and there's no doubt about it. So it's you know again having that opportunity is is something that we provide here. Yeah, I was kind of curious to ask you about the the, the mainland trip last year, uh, because you, not only did your squad get that experience of going up playing, you know in Arizona at San Diego State. Uh, you played really well, right? I mean, you had a lead on San Diego State at the half in that game, lost by, I think, four or five uh, yeah. in that matchup. Uh, you were down only two to Arizona on the road, only lost by about 10 uh, yeah. in those games. And so, you, you, you know, not only going up there, but being competitive and taking your team on the road for those experiences, um, you know, just, just kind of the ex value of that experience uh, as part of this arrangement with, with the tournament with Kemper and, and Chaminade. Well, I can tell you this, we walked into, you know, I've seen it on for years, but we walked into Arizona's arena and you look up at all the, the great players that have played there. They have their names written up there. And then you, you think back, wow, I forgot that he played there. They have so many of them written across there. It, it you know, and, and, and the game itself was either sold out or really close to sold out in both games versus Arizona and San Diego state. Now, we've never played in front of crowds that big. You know, even at Lahaina Civic Center, there's two, 3,000 people. It's packed, everybody yelling. But you go into those places, and there's a several more thousand people. Um, so it, just a really, really fun experience. And, and to play really well. And to have San Diego State's student section screaming at us the whole time, you know. It, it, was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. We, we had a blast. We're, we were glad that we were – you know, because you don't know how you're going to respond in their environment, you know, on the road and, and so forth. That I, I had never done that before, so I didn't know what to expect. I knew that we would we would give it our best shot, but, you know, sometimes playing these top-level teams, your best shot isn't good enough. Um, but uh, it, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I was really looking forward to going to Stanford and, and UNLV this year and and so forth, but we'll be back in the Maui portion of 
the Maui Invitational next year. So looking forward to that. Yeah, it, us here too on Maui, I can assure you of that. Um, we, we touched a little bit on the fact that the tournament was in Asheville, North Carolina a bit this year. Uh, I thought, you know, they, they did a nice job of, of keeping the Maui flavor, if you will. They've still got Maui on the baseline. You still got the big Maui Invitational logo at midcourt, which, of course, has Chaminade on it as well. And, and so, yeah. you know, that, I mean, just the, the fact that Chaminade's still, you know, emblazoned on the court, Maui is still emblazoned on the court. Um, what would you make of sort of the look of things and, and the setup there, there in Asheville? Yeah, I thought they did a great job. I really did. I, I was actually supposed to be there. I was going to go there up until about a week ago. I had every intention of going and, and, and being part of the bubble there. But um, unfortunately, in our small towns, we were going to tie it in with, you know, a Thanksgiving vacation, maybe leading into Christmas and so forth. But the, the virus has really crept around our small towns. Um, and, you know, just for the sake of our parents and, and older, older people in our families, we thought eh, it might be best for us to just stay here. Um, so I actually canceled about a week ago. And the, the, when, Monday, when Monday morning tipped off, I, I did have that feeling of, man, I wish I was there. Why didn't I just go? But, um, you know, I, I was happy to watch it. You know, I thought they did a great job. Um, I, I will talk to them, you know, Dave Odom and Kemper Lesnick. I'll talk to them here in a day or two to kind of see how things went from, from, you know, being on the ground there. But to me, it looked like everything was going pretty smooth and a Asheville is a beautiful city. And, you know, I think it was, I think it was a great choice by them because we had discussed potentially going to, you know, Disneyland Disney world and, you know, different places like that. And, um, but I, I think that was a great selection by them. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you uh, from what I've been able to watch. I uh, thought they did a really nice job there. Um, you know, for, for your group, and we've mentioned playing some of these teams at the Arizona or whatnot, um, you know, your, and some of the wins, your, your team came really close. The Swords did last year to picking up another win at the Maya Invitational on the final day, losing by three, that Anthony Edwards shot against Georgia, uh, who goes on to be the eventual number one pick. And that's two years in a row the Maya Invitational has seen the eventual number one pick play as a freshman at the Lahaina Civic Center, Zion Williamson of Duke, obviously, the year prior to that. But uh, what, what, what did you think coming, going into that game, coming out of that game uh, of, of Anthony Edwards and, and the fact that, that he is now the number one pick going to the T-Wolves? <laughs> well, we knew, you know, we had heard about him in, in high school and we knew, we knew how, how, how talented he was, you know, to see him in person and it's pretty remarkable. You don't realize how big and athletic those guys are until they're right in front of you. And, you know, to think that both, I mean, Zion was even, it was even more ridiculous. When you see him up close in person, you just cannot believe that a freshman in college can look like that. You know, it's like they're, they're 27 year old, been lifting weights all their life and, and so forth. But yeah, they're, they're, they are unbelievable talents. There's no doubt about it. I thought we did a good job, you know, in that game playing against Anthony Edwards. We, you know, we, we tried to corral them as best we can and try to make other guys beat us, beat us as best we can. But um, in, the la in the last play of the game, uh, we, we knew he was going to take the last shot and they spread out the court really good. So we didn't send a double team. And uh, he had an unbelievable shot, you know, with a guy right in his face. I, I think back to, you know, we, we have two wins in my time here. 
in the Maui Invitational, but there's so many more that we could have had. Mm -hmm. So it's heartbreaking the fact that imagine if I was sitting here and we had seven wins, you know, because I think about about five or six games where they could have very easily mm -hmm. gone our way over the years in, you know, just a couple breaks down at the down at the end. And next thing you know, you win. Um, so, you know, frustrating when you think back that, but you got to take it in perspective. These are Big 12 and Pac-12 and Big 10 teams that you're playing against, you know, um, and they have the depth. They just keep bringing waves of guys at you and you usually have your core group of, you know, six, seven, eight guys. And when we, when you get down usually into our 10th, 11th, 12th guys, they're, you know, they have a hard time competing against those guys. So I've um, been proud of our guys over the years though, and, and the way they compete in it. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting the chance to be there and we do the games on radio and it's, it's so funny because so many of those games, even from our vantage point as broadcasters uh, stand up, whether it's the St. John's game or the Mississippi state game, I'm sure yeah. all those games <laughs> still maybe keep you up at night a little bit. Uh, Coach, uh, we really thank you for, for taking some time here. We, we hope you get to enjoy a little bit of this sort of, you know, unprecedented break for yourself. I, I did have one question uh, yeah. for you before we get out of here. Um, your wife and, and uh, how, do, how do you pronounce your name, Coach? Lee. 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 Um, yeah. From my understanding, played at Eastern Kentucky, good player yeah. in her own right. So uh, who wins the one-on-one -on -one matchups in the driveway? <laughs> That's kind of funny you mentioned that. I'll give you a little piece. Um, Coach Crutchfield, who's, who's the, you know, he's been my mentor. He, he's one of the greatest coaches in NCAA history um, at our time from West Liberty. He's, I think he's the winningest active coach in all of NCAA right now. But he gave me a great piece of advice about before – before I even met Lee, he said, when you find someone, you want to find someone that's better looking than you, at more athletic than you, and smarter than you. And so whenever I came across Lee, I was like, this is it right here. This, <laughs> this is the person he's talking about. So, no, we've had some battles. And I do, you know, in a dating time period, I know that she beat me a few times in, in some shooting contests and I would say that you know it was more of me you know not not wanting to lose another date so um I might have let her I might I might have let her you know get some advantage on me in that but she doesn't see it that way so um <laughs> you know that that's where we stand right now that that is terrific and I'm sure as a coach you can appreciate that even more so right now some some of the coaches that we've had in our lives sometimes it's the life advice that's that sticks with you the most and, and comes off as the best uh, words of wisdom. No doubt. No doubt. And I've had a lot of them. I've been fortunate in my life. And, you know, even our athletic director who, who just retired, Bill Villa, the guy that hired me. I mean, you talk about it, one of the best human beings that I've ever met. Um, you know, he, he gave me tons of tons of advice over the years. So and we still talk to this day, even though he's retired. I, yeah, I'm not letting him off the hook for a long time. Yeah, well-deserved retirement for uh, for Coach Villa there. Uh, Coach, we, we again, we really appreciate it. Uh, happy holidays to you and the family. Stay safe. And uh, we cannot wait till the Silver Swords are back on the court, hopefully in January, and then definitely looking forward to next Thanksgiving time when hopefully the Mount Invitational is back here at the Civic Center and, and Chaminade is front and center. Yes. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. All right, time now for our post game. That's right, our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. 
Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use, family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community. Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services and information. All right, Billy, best and worst. Uh, we'll let you start it off here. We'll, we'll, you want to start with the best or you want to start with your worst? Let's go positive. Let's start. Yeah, right I like that. All right. So what's your best for this week? Oh, I, I got to do this to you. My best. Let's give a shout out to Jonathan Smith and the Oregon State Beavers. Anytime the Ducks lose, I'm one happy guy. So shout out to the Beavers for winning that rivalry game. That was that was fantastic. Super special shout out to Rob Coleus. I know he really enjoyed that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And my dad. Yeah, I think they were commiserating together, the, the two Oregon <laughs> alums. That was a lot of fun in the fog. Like it was such a, a an Oregon Oregon State game. Everything, the setting, uh, it was a good game. They came right down to the wire as well. Uh, my best, uh, Round Ball Rock. That's right, the John Tesh Classic. Uh, it had been dormant for years after NBC lost the NBA rights, which, which seems like what was that over twenty years ago? I think, um, but I don't know if the contract expired with NBC or Fox doled out some cash. Uh, but last season, the iconic instrumental by John John Tesh was being used again by Fox for their college basketball broadcast and a pleasant reminder with hoops tipping on uh, tipping off again last week uh, as the college season began uh, that round ball rock is back in our lives it's it's my favorite sports related theme song music whatever you want to call it it is it is brilliant and uh, I'm glad it's back in our lives does everyone feel this way when they get a little bit older that just everything was so much better in their childhood? But it just seems to me that the production for all, for most of these sporting events, I mean, there's just nothing like NBA on NBC. Like that was like the thing. And it just, oh, you know, man. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems so much more iconic back then. So I don't know if it's just like you, you look fondly on your early years, but I mean, I miss those stuff. I mean, NBA on NBC was just legendary. Yeah, the only thing, and this is nostalgic as well, the only thing that compares to me was Keith Jackson voicing over the intro to the BCS National Championship Games on ABC. That music as well with, with Keith Jackson, just just absolutely iconic. All right, we'll, we'll transition to our worst here. We'll end it on that. I'll go first here, Billy, and then we'll, we'll let you go. You may have a, a little bit more of a uh, upbeat worst, perhaps, uh, but there is some positive news coming out of mine. Uh, my worst, Rigo, uh, Rigoberto Sanchez, the former University of Hawaii punter, uh, current Colts punter, one of the best in the league at doing it. Uh, his cancer announcement earlier this week, he announced that uh, he would be undergoing surgery to remove a cancerous tumor. Uh, they caught it early. He hopes to return to football after, you know, an indeterminate amount of time. Reports were that the surgery went well. Uh, they are they are very optimistic about things, uh, but just just completely unfortunate. That's a good Colts team that is in position to make the playoffs, and 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 Rigo is going to be out for a little bit. But uh, football, of course. Uh, kind of small potatoes at this point uh, as he uh, takes care of his health and, and we wish him nothing but the best. One of the all-time greats for the University of Hawaii and uh, a guy that, uh, you know, if all things go according to plan, he should have a, a lengthy rest of his career there punting the football in the NFL. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with you. I'm wishing all the best to him. My worst, we ended up talking about it, so I feel like maybe I should switch it, but really, I went from UW pulls off this big comeback against Utah. I'm feeling good. I turn on the switch to the old TV to the pay-per-view and watching my beloved Nate Robinson get completely laid out cold by Jake Paul. It was tough, man. I, I got to admit, there might've been a tear or two. It, it was tough to watch one of my favorite, favorite athletes of all time just get humiliated like that. And then the social media backlash 
after it in the world we live in today all the all the, the jokes and everything it was i feel for my boy prayers for nate robinson yeah that was that was rough that was rough so we'll end it on that note billy big <laughs> thanks to you canole will be back soon hit us up on twitter at jordan heli at talk sports 808 uh we will be back next week as well you can bother canola at canola if you so choose and uh billy what's your twitter handle if they want to uh send you some uh, some complaints after they listen to this episode at Billy Hull, you're, you're going to get a whole bunch of maybe Seattle sports tweets and UW tweets and then, you know, occasionally a terrible joke or two. So, yeah, come follow me. All right, that'll do it for us. Take care, everybody. Mahalo's to Billy.